Hi, this is the podcast channel of Lighthouse Church in Ottawa, Canada. We are a family. We don't do life alone. We are about the one, each and every one. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Our hope and prayer is always for life change. Here is today's message. Be blessed as you listen. I'm going to move into today's word for today. It's something that God has been using to encourage me personally, and I think it's going to be a word that will encourage everybody else today as well. I think as society right now, the world is going through a lot of difficult issues and difficult topics with COVID-19, racial issues, right? Systematic problems. But I think a lot of people are dealing with some personal issues as well, particularly battlefield of the mind, right? Misperceptions of self. That's really what we're going to talk about today is how people can deal with condemnation, how people deal with feeling inadequate, and how people can start to view themselves the way that other people or the world view them, right? So we're going to talk about what I've titled as God's view of me. I'll say it again, God's view of me. And I don't mean me as in we're talking about Helen today. You can put your name in there. So God's view of Tala, God's view of Caleb, whatever your name is, and plug that in. So we're going to read our anchor scripture from today, which is from 1 Samuel 16, verses 1 to 13. I'm reading the NLT version. This is my favorite version. So it says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, You have mourned long enough for Saul. I have rejected him as king of Israel. So fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. But Samuel asked, How can I do that? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. Take a heifer with you, the Lord replied, and say that you have come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you which of his sons to anoint for me. So Samuel did as the Lord instructed. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town came trembling to meet him. What's wrong? They asked. Do you come in peace? Yes, Samuel replied. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Purify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then Samuel performed the purification rite for Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice too. When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse told his son Abinadab to step forward and walk in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, this is not the one the Lord has chosen. Next, Jesse summoned Shimea, but Samuel said, neither is this the one the Lord has chosen. In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel asked, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he's out in the fields washing the sheep and the goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one, anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Samuel returned to Ramah. So before we kind of dissect that word a little bit further, I want to share a bit of a story. So for those who don't know me, I am obsessed with art, any form of art at all, whether it's music, whether it's paintings, you know, whether it's 
poetry. If you invite me or you share some art with me, I'm completely into that. So back when Boye and I were engaged, um, we went for this pottery class. And I love pottery. I don't do it often, but when I do, I really enjoy it. And for me, it was totally my kind of event. For Boye, he's not particularly artsy. You know, he's much more, uh, he likes to watch sports or sermons. He's much more intellectual about how he approaches things. So he's not artistic, <laughs> um, but he did come with me, which was awesome. And he just went to spend time with me, right? So we went for this class and really we were making any kind of kitchen item, whether that was a bowl, a cup, a plate, utensils of any sort, which was awesome. And I actually brought two of the items that we made. Take a look at them. I'm sure you can tell which one is mine and which one is obviously Boye's. So we'll start with Boye's and, and analyze his for a second. So I'm not too sure what exactly this is supposed to be. I think only Boye and God knows what's going on here. The shape is a little off. The painting's a little weird. You know, I don't know. Even the bottom has some things on it. Anyways, I can't really speak to what is going on here. I can only assume what kind of art project this is. Whereas we have mine, I can talk a lot more about what I've created because I use my hands. I use my hands to create it. I use my hands to paint it. So I think mine is a bit more cyclical in shape. It's like an ocean blue. It's very delicate. You know, you can see the depth of it here and how the clean, clean the edges are. And there's some, I think, carvings at the bottom. And only I know the intention of my bowl because I created it with my hands. So I know that this is not like a yogurt or a cereal bowl, cereal bowl. It's actually an appetizer bowl is what it's created for. People come over there for little snacks, little dainty things we can put inside. But that just speaks to how only the person that created this bowl can actually talk about the details of what it is and also what the intention and what it's been created for. And the same thing goes for Boye's bowl, right? So, you know, I may think it looks funny, but to Boye, he probably had a specific idea in mind before he created it. So before he made the bowl, maybe he had a specific intention in mind, a pre-ordained idea of what he was going to create for that day. And I only just say all of that just to say this, right? God works in the same way that, uh, as we do in this situation. So the bowls would be us and God would be the one who uses hands to make us. So really, it's not up to the bowl or for other people around the bowl to look at the bowl and assume what it's made of or what it's made for. Only God's view and perception of the bowl matters because he's the one that created it with his hands. Only he knows the true capacity, the true intention, what exactly the bowl was made for. And that's the same thing with us. Only God's view and God's perception of us really matters. You know, it doesn't matter what I think about myself, you know, in, in different ways of looking at that, right? But if other people have a negative view of me or perception of me, Really, it's only God's view that matters. It's God's view that matters most. So just to talk about that, we'll talk about God's view of us, how he actually views us, but we'll start off by talking about how God does not view us, right? So the false perception that we have of ourself. Um, we'll start off with that. So we'll talk about three different ways in which God does not see us. The first way that God does not see us is physically. God does not look at our outward appearance or even think about that at all. And if you refer back to 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, I'll read it again. It said, But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you, or like humanity, see them. People judge by the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So God is not judging us 
by our outward appearance, but by the inner contents of who we are. And I like to say that human beings, we judge things based on what stimulates our five senses, right? So our, our eyes, our nose, our ears, our taste, all of those kind of things are, are what stimulates us and makes us react to certain people. So I'll talk to my ladies for a second. Guys are no better, but we'll come to you later. Girls, we do this so much whenever we meet a new guy, we go on a date of some sort, we meet the guy, we're like, oh wow, he's six foot tall, you know, he's chiseled, nice hairline, nice jawline. We smell his cologne, we think he smells great. We hear the depth of his voice, we get all excited. If he holds our hands, you know, we feel all kind of butterflies. If he takes us out to dinner, you know, stimulates our taste buds. And we get all excited and we use all of our senses except for our common sense to think about how he's much more than just what we're seeing at the surface. And sometimes there's no depth of personality there at all, but we've just been so carried away by that initial interaction with our five senses. And you know, even the best people, people with the best intentions do that. Like Samuel in the, in the Bible in 1 Samuel 16 that we were just reading, in verse six, he said, surely this is the Lord's anointed. And he was talking about Eliab. And God was like, no, this is not who I've chosen at all. And, and it's only God, right, who knows our true intention, um, his true intention for his creation. And that's not just talking about physical in terms of your appearance, but also physically in terms of your ability. So some of the things that we think that we're great at, we're very capable of, is not even what God is looking for at all in, in that particular season and how he created you. So outward appearances are not just how you look physically, but physically in terms of your, your abilities as well. And when Samuel had come over to Jesse's house, he was looking for who would be king next, right? And so he looked at Eliab was one person, but then he also had those six other sons that were brought to the consecration. And I'm sure not everybody looked good. Maybe some were really strong or some were really wise. Some were good with a bow and arrow, whatever would be a qualification for a good king back then. But none of those things mattered to God. Those are just things that Samuel thought were appealing, but those weren't the skills, right? Uh, or the attributes, I would say, that God was looking at, right? God is looking at the inner contents of us and not at our outward appearance or our abilities. So that's the first thing. That's the first way in which God does not view us is physically. Another way in which God does not view us is by our sin. And this is a really important one. I think that we really need to address because I think the body of Christ really deals with a lot of condemnation and a lot of Christians walk around with the weight of their sin on their shoulders. And we really don't have to do that. We really don't have to do that. Even as Christians, it's, it requires constant, constant renewing of your mind to deal with some sin. I know there's some sins that as soon as you become a Christian, you know, your, your flesh and your, your spirit just kind of becomes irritated with, with those certain kind of sins. But then there's also the kind of sins that they're like, they need a daily, a daily rewashing of your mind, renewing of your mind. It also takes sometimes mentorship, kind of restarting, reprogramming how you see uh, that activity or that behavior. And sometimes it could just be that one sin that keeps coming back, right? It's, it's very irritating to you, but you can't seem to shake it off, right? Those are some sins that even Christians face after they've been you know, born again. So there's the sins that you commit before you're born again, and then the sins that you commit while you're a Christian and you're trying to work it out, right? And that's why the word of God says you're supposed to fight the good fight of faith. It's not easy to deal with some of these sins that people are dealing with. But God does not see you by your sin. He does not see you by your sin. And I think that we should not allow our sin of yesterday or our fight of today 
to discredit who God has called us to be. We are so much more than how we see ourselves. Um, we're so much more than that sin, right? So we should not condemn ourselves. Romans 8 verses 1, right? It says, so now there is no condemnation. There's none for those who belong to Christ Jesus. So to condemn, I think I've used that word a lot, and Christians say that a lot as well. To condemn yourself, dictionary.com, help me out here, says to completely disprove of or criticize or berate something, to absolutely attack yourself or carry self-guilt, or it can even be likened to sentencing someone or something. So maybe you've sentenced yourself to feeling inadequate or you've sentenced yourself to a, a life that is subpar because you feel like your, your, your sin weighs too much compared to the rest of you, right? But don't disqualify yourself. God has not disqualified you. Um, Psalm 103, 12, I love this verse in NLT. It says, for he has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. So God has completely disassociated us from our sin. And we shouldn't even call it our sin, right? Once it's separated from you, right, it's a completely different entity. God doesn't even see you with your sin anymore. He completely separates you from your sin. So do not carry the weight of your sin around anymore. Guys, it does not need to be the weight of the world and that, that weight on your shoulders. So I just come to encourage somebody with that. You can write that in the comments below. Do not be overcome by condemnation. Do not be overcome by condemnation. You are so much more than your sin. So those are two ways. First way is that God does not see us physically. Second way is God does not see us by our sin. And the third way that God does not see us is by the way the world sees us. The world has this really annoying way to try to limit our capacity. It's a very dog-eat-dog -dog kind of place in order for us to succeed, but it doesn't have to be. That's a misperception, by the way, thinking that you have to push other people down to build yourself up. There's a healthier way to live, but that's what society has been doing, right? It's to push other people down to lift and elevate yourself. And we allow people to dictate how we view ourselves. You know, subliminally or by comparison sometimes, we often feel less about ourselves when we look at other people, you know. And society also tries to dictate who we are by our race, our gender, our background, our social standing, our abilities, our disabilities. They use all of these things to try to determine and state who we are as people. But that doesn't matter because that's not how and what God created us to be. Right? We're so much more than that, and that's not how God views us. So that's really not how we should view ourselves. And even with that, it's not just external people, right? It's, it can even be people in our corner, our internal people, families or our parents, siblings, friends, people that even have good intentions for us can really not have our back sometimes. And um, if we go back to our anchor scripture in 1 Samuel 16, verse 5, the second half of it says, that then Samuel performed the purification rite for Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice too. You know that when they were invited to the sacrifice, Jesse only invited seven out of eight of his sons. David wasn't even invited to the consecration, wasn't invited to the gathering. So his father, Jesse, David's own dad, did not even write him enough to invite him to the gathering. Neither did his brothers. They could have said, oh, David, come along. You know, you won't be king, but at least you can watch me become king. You can be part of the process. Nobody even invited him. Nobody rated him enough for him to be invited to the, the consecration. And that just goes to show how even in today, some people's parents, some people's siblings, some people's friends don't even see the capacity of who they are, who 
God might be calling them to be. And at Lighthouse Church, we always talk about that we are family. We will always have room for you at our table. But that's not been the same for everybody. You know, growing up, some people had terrible, terrible homes. You know, people were mistreated. Some people were abused. People have such difficult pasts. And some people had great pasts, right? We had people who were really supportive, parents that were great. But even then, all these parents that are great, they're still not God. They still don't dictate who you are as a person. They weren't there when God created you before you were in your mother's womb, right? With a specific purpose and plan for your life. Shout out to African parents. We love you guys. But there have been a lot of times where we might see one attribute in our child and declare that over their life, like, oh, you're really good at math. You are an accountant. You will be an accountant. But then they've missed out on what God's true intention is for the child completely, right? The kid is like, oh, I also like to cook, mom. But the mom is like, no, you must do accounting, you know? So I feel like even the best of parents with the best of intentions at times really don't know what God has called that child or that person to be and can speak things over our kids' lives that are inaccurate at times, right? So only God can declare and actually know for certain what we are created to be and his perception is all that really matters, all right? So that's a quick quick recap again. So the three ways in which God does not see us is physically, by our sin, or by the way the world sees us. So now let's talk about how does God see us, right? So God does see us, first of all, by the blood, by the blood. And some people understand that right away, but some people might hear the blood and be a bit confused. When I say the blood, I'm talking about the blood of Jesus Christ, blood of Jesus Christ. So let's backtrack to the beginning of the Bible, just so I can explain this a little bit further. So Genesis, beginning of time, right? God creates the heavens and the earth and everything in it in Genesis 1. He also creates man in his image, right? That's when Adam and Eve come into the picture. And real quick, Genesis 3 happens. We've already messed things up. Humanity has been disobedient and has sinned against God. And this creates a disconnect between human beings and God, their father. And that's what creates that innate sin nature that people, that people have, that humanity has, right? So the whole of the Old Testament is basically working towards how can we reconnect ourselves back to God. So human beings in the Old Testament, they would take animals, right? They would take the blood of animals to sacrifice, to try to rebridge the connection and relationship back to God. Whenever they sin, they try to, to make that sacrifice to what we call atone for sin. Um, and that atonement, what atonement means is just to cover up the sin. So it would only pacify God a little bit right? But it wouldn't completely take away the sin. It would only atone the sin. So that's when Jesus comes in, right? In the New Testament, the second half of the Bible, we're looking at when God, right? Part of the Trinity. So when we talk about God, there's God the Father, God the Son, which is Jesus Christ, and then God the Spirit, which is the Holy Spirit. So Jesus Christ comes into the picture and he is the one, right, that can actually wash away our sin. He's the blameless lamb. He's the one that is spotless. The only one that's able to actually bridge back that connection between humanity and man since we had fallen and we had that innate sin nature. So Jesus comes down, glory be to God. He comes to the picture. He dies on the cross for us and actually reunites us back to our God. So what he does there is he remits sin. So he removes or completely wipes away sin. So we're so grateful to God for that because if not for the blood of God, we would still be sacrificing lamb and sheep and all these things that don't actually fix the the error that happened in the first place. So that's a bit of an explanation by what I mean by the blood. 
and how Jesus plays a huge role in how God sees us. If the, the blood of God is still a bit unclear, another way to think about it is in a court scenario. Those of us who like to picture certain scenarios in our minds, the court would be where God is the judge, the prosecutor is the devil, right? He's got all these negative things to say. We're the defendant, right? We're the people that present ourselves in the court and Jesus would be our defense lawyer. Pastor Deji has talked about this a couple times, but you can also find it, examples of this in Zechariah 3 and also when Jesus steps in the gap for the adulterous woman in John 8. So when our time on earth is done and we pass away, right, we're going to enter this kind of court scenario, for example, and the devil's going to bring all these receipts, right? He's going to be the prosecutor that has all these negative things to say. He's going to pinpoint that on September 3rd in... 2004 Helen was here at this time doing this particular thing right and he's going to try to say all these negative things about us but then what Jesus is going to do right as a defense lawyer he's going to step in and say hey no Helen gave her life over to me right she invited me into her heart so now my blood speaks for her my blood covers her so now when God looks at me God is a judge he's looking at me what he sees is the blood of Jesus that covers me right, that completely remits all that sin that the devil has been talking about. So that's another way you can think about the blood. And that's the way in which God sees us, is that when he's looking at us, right, he's not seeing all those negative things, but he's seeing the blood of Jesus that covers us. Glory be to God. The second way in which God sees us is by his own image, by his own image. And I love this one, right, because we have God living on the inside of us. We have God living on the inside of us. Not only does God see the blood of Jesus, but he also sees himself when he looks at us. You know, when Jesus was on the earth, we talked a bit about who Jesus is and what he did. But when he came to the earth, you know, he died on the cross and he arose on that third day. But then as soon as he came back, he said, hey, guys, I know it's great that I'm here, but I've actually got to go. Um, we can look at John 16, verse 7, NLT version. Jesus said, but in fact, it is best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. So him in this context and the advocate in this context is the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is saying here that, hey, it's great that I've been here and I've been able to do these amazing works, but it's only the Holy Spirit that's going to be able to take things even further than I have. So Jesus needed to leave in order for there to be a deposition of the Holy Spirit. So 1 John 4, 13 NLT also says, and God has given us his spirit as proof that he lives in, that we live in him and he lives in us, right? So this is evidence that not only do we have the blood covering us, but we also have God on the inside of us. And I think that that's an amazing thing, that whole trinity of God, there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We actually have a piece of that trinity that lives on the inside of us. But not only does God see himself when he looks at us, right, based on the Holy Spirit, he also sees himself when he looks at us because we are made in his holy image, right? The beginning, we talked about um, Genesis 1 and how um, the trinity was there at the beginning of time. Genesis 1, 26 says, let us make man in our image. So that's a trinity right from the beginning. And God's saying that, hey, I'm not just going to make man in any kind of way. I'm going to make man to be and to look 
and to behave and act the way that I am. So we are a reflection of God on this earth, right? When people look at us, they're looking at a piece of him. And I think that that's incredible, right? It really builds how you perceive yourself when you have an understanding of this. In Psalm 139, I know people quote this all the time, it says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And when you really dig into what this really means, when it means you are, when it says you are wonderfully made, that's because they can see the wonder of God on the inside of you. You are a reflection of who he is. When it says fearfully made, that means that they fear God more because of the God that's on the inside of you. And Jeremiah 1.5 talks about how God says, um, before you were in your mother's womb, I knew you. And that talks about, you know, God knowing your purpose and your calling before you come to the earth. But even more to that, right? The reason why he says, I know you is because he sees himself inside of you, right? So if God sees himself inside of you, you've got to see him inside of yourself as well. I think that that's a huge, huge piece, right? And we should not discredit ourselves, you know, because we feel inadequate. We feel like we're not enough, but we should, you know, almost value ourselves so much more than that because we have God on the inside of us, right? To devalue ourselves is actually to devalue a piece of God that's living on the inside of us. And the third way in which God does see us is by our heart, by our heart. First Samuel 16, our anchor scripture, verse seven, the word specifically says that God looks at our heart. God looks at our heart, right? The human heart, just medically speaking, is the most important organ in the body. It's where the, the blood is pumped through, right? It circulates the blood around the body. You know, it's what keeps us, keeps us going. And you can argue the brain is also equally important, but we won't go into that. But the blood is what pumps and supplies the whole body with blood. Spiritually speaking, right? When you're talking about the heart, it's the core of who we are as people. It's where our thoughts come from. It's where our behaviors come from, our actions, our reactions. It all comes from our heart. And when we're talking about the heart, we can say things sometimes and make certain statements at times that sound nice, but could be completely disconnected from how we are at our heart. And sometimes it takes us a long time to realize that, hey, what that person said is not actually who they are, right? It doesn't match up. Sometimes it takes people having to be in difficult um, situations or to be placed under a microphone or in a fiery situation for what they're true self is like, right? When their true core and how they're really feeling comes out, it takes humanity a long time to actually see person and their heart for what it truly is. But God can see straight into the heart. He can see the flaws. He can see the beautiful things, right? Sometimes there's parts of us in our heart that we don't even see that only God can see. So God really takes our hearts seriously. You know, God even likens his relationship with man um, to the proximity that man has with his heart. When he talks about David and why he loved David so much is because he called David a man after his own heart, right? David wanted to align himself with God's heart. And David had a really good understanding of this, right? The importance of having an upright heart. Because in Psalm 51, 11, he cried out and said, Lord, create in me a clean heart, purify me. You know, because the heart of man can be desperately wicked. But God can renew that heart. You know, if you know that you're flawed and you know that you're struggling with things, if you surrender your heart to him, you know, God is a heart surgeon, I call it sometimes. He can completely fix your heart. All those issues, all those insecurities that you have, God can completely renew and reshape your heart into the reflection of him. So that's the third way in which 
God sees us. It's by our heart. The fourth and final way that God can see us is according to our calling. You know, we briefly talked about Jeremiah 1, but if you look at verse 5 carefully, I'm going to read it. It says, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were you were born, I set you apart and anointed you as my prophet to the nations. You know, so that's so reassuring, right? Because sometimes you can feel like, what am I even here for? What am I doing on this earth, right? People can look at us and think that, like, what are your skills? What are you good at? But there is not, there's no such thing as having no purpose or no calling because God had those specific things engraved in you before you even came into this world, before you were even in your mother's womb. God knew exactly what he wanted you to do and who he has called you to be. I know I brought up these bowls at the beginning of the sermon and it just was an example of art, right? And how God makes us, but he is the perfect potter. You know, he makes the perfect the most perfect creations, right? When he created us, it was for a specific intention. He does not make any mistakes, right? He's also an artist, right? And we are his masterpiece. He can never mess up his canvas, right? So an example of this as well with David is that we often think that when God made that statement that he has thought of David, he's created David a man after his own heart, that we think that David was already out there following after God, but when Saul was about to be replaced as king and David was coming into the picture, David might not have even been born yet. I don't think we realize that. If you look at timelines and you look at the life of Saul and when, how old his kids were and all of that, Saul was at least 30 years older than David. So when God made the statement that he has a man coming forth to be king, right, that is a man after his heart, David might not have even been born at that time. And that's amazing. That means that God would have created him with such a specific intention, that intention of being a person that would desire him above all things, that would chase after him above all things, that would align his heart with God above everything else. And that just goes to show how detailed our God is and that there's absolutely no one on this earth that is invaluable to God. His expectations for us, his hopes for us, his intentions for our life is according to his calling and not our own. So only God's perception of us matters. Only his perception matters. And to speak on to that a little bit more, you know, there's a reason why you are born at this particular time, at this particular season, right? God has called you for something specific. There's a specific problem on this earth that God has brought you into existence to solve there's a specific intention for yourself. So never devalue yourself. Remember that you are covered by the blood of God. Remember that you are called for a specific purpose. Remember that God sees himself when he looks at you. So remember that you carry God on the inside of you. You know, and I hope that this word has encouraged somebody. It's really encouraged me as God has been teaching me these things. So I just want to close with a question as we head out. How will we choose to view ourselves? How will we choose to view ourselves? Will we view ourselves physically, by our sin, the way the world sees us? Or will we see us ourselves the way that our potter, the creator, God sees us, which is by the blood of Jesus, his own image, our heart, and according to our calling. God is, again, the most beautiful potter, the most amazing artist. He makes no mistakes on his canvas. So when you have a better perception of yourself, this will change how you carry yourself. This will change your demeanor, right? It'll change the kind of things that you go for, what you aspire for, what you think 
yourself capable enough to do. And it'll even change how powerful we are in the place of prayer. You know, a lot of people weigh down themselves with that condemnation we talked about before and can't see past their sin. So when they pray and they say, in the name of Jesus, they don't understand the power that that carries and the God that's inside of them that speaks those words with us when we speak those words. So it's really important that we understand who we are so that when we pray to God, we know that what we're praying is a declaration and we can be confident that it's going to come to pass, right? And God's been laying this on my heart a lot about when we say in the name of Jesus, to have confidence that what we're praying about is solved, what we're declaring is done, right? It's not, um, oh, maybe this prayer will come to pass, right? We're too busy thinking about our sin and why we aren't enough to declare these things, but we are more than enough. We are more than enough. And we can declare things boldly because we know that we carry God on the inside of us. So can we make that declaration together? Wherever you are, even if you're online, you can type this out. Just say, I will see myself the way God sees me. I will see myself the way God sees me. Awesome. And I believe that God can help us with that. That's not easy to just change that mentality and to reframe our mindset. So how about we just turn this into a prayer? Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure you subscribe to our podcast channel. If you want to be a blessing to others, share the message. To stay connected, download our app and follow us on Instagram at Lighthouse Church Ottawa. We love you.